Okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to erase this board. <laughs> Goodbye, Kingdom of Satan. <laughs> Goodbye, Cosmos. Expand, Kingdom of God. Okay. All right. Um, during the last session, one of the brothers mentioned uh, the books. I want to say something about the books. We've got a new one. Have you heard about the new book? Uh, now that all of the collected works of Witness Lee have been published, uh, we really don't have a lot of um, new things to, to print. Uh, we still have the Holy Word for Morning Revival, which we will continue to receive. We still have the ministry magazine, which is the current spoken ministry. Um, do, do you ever read the ministry magazine or you know, some people are more uh, listeners and some are more readers. I, I'm more of a reader myself. I, I really like the ministry magazine. It's, you know, it's, it's basically a very lightly polished transcript of the spoken message. I, I like that. Uh, but the new one is called the Ministry Digest, which will come out once a month. I'd like to recommend it to you because what it does is it draws from the entire collected works of Witness Lee, 139 volumes. Uh, I don't know if you bought, any of you bought that. Uh, I, I did. Boy, it takes up a lot of space. <laughs> Uh, I've got a big library, but because all those 139 volumes are not small. They're about 500 pages each. And my wife looked at it one day and she said, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> and what am I going to do with that? And, um, you know, we, we realized that once the collected works was published, that the saints need a way into the ministry and a way to uh, a help to get into it. Even if you had those 139 volumes, where do you start? So uh, there's a new publication which will be monthly called the Ministry Digest. And the Ministry Digest takes topics. Each Ministry Digest will have four topics and then it it would develop those four topics from all those 139 volumes. So the, the, what they're doing is they're doing a whole lot of work for us to make the way into the collective works of Witness Lee very easy. Uh, for example, the first volume, the, the, the first topic in the first volume is the history of the Lord's recovery, isn't that awesome? And uh, of course, I know a lot about the history of the Lord's recovery. I've read a lot about it, but there's some new things because a lot of the things that are published in the collected works were only in Chinese before. They've never been printed in English before. So I really enjoyed reading that section on the, uh, the history of the recovery. And then there's a, a second line of ministry for new believers. Isn't that good? So that book could be used in our shepherding of new ones. And then there's a third line on growing in life, which is what we're gonna talk about tonight. And then a fourth line on the high peak. And that's just this first edition. There will be other subjects that will be developed uh, in, in subsequent uh, 
publications, I would like to recommend this to you as a way to get into the ministry in a regular way. Um, you know, like I say, I understand if you didn't purchase all of those books. It's just a little monthly paperback that will get you into all of those over a period of time. And I think if a person were to take in these three things every month, the Holy Word for Morning Revival, the Ministry Magazine, and the Ministry Digest, wow! I would have done anything to have that when I was young. Um, it was a lot harder for, for us back then to get into the ministry. Now it's spoon-fed to us. You know, it's just, it's, it's prepared in such a way that it's, it's so easy to get into it. Um, I know maybe not all of us will do all of that. That's fine. <clears throat> but what a treasure to have available to us every single month. Those are three monthly publications that we'll have. Because other than that, we're not going to be having a lot of books coming out. <laughs> Very few, because everything's m mostly all in print now. Okay. <clears throat> Remember we said that the way that the kingdom of God develops is that it actually develops within us. We think of the realm of the kingdom of God as it's, it's easy to think of it in, in geographic terms. We say, oh, we, ne we didn't ever have a church before in, uh, in uh, is it Haymarket? I gotta learn these Virginia cities. We never had a church in Haymarket, now we do. The kingdom has expanded. Well, I, I don't deny that there's a geographic aspect to it, but remember that the kingdom of God is God. It's God himself. So it's not enough just for people to go to Haymarket. They need to bring the kingdom of God with them. And the kingdom of God needs to expand in us. And it does that by our growth in life. Uh, by the growth of the divine life in us and the development of the divine nature, which we saw in, uh, <clears throat> in 2 Peter chapter 1, we received the precious faith as a seed, and everything is in that seed. This is good news. I hope you understand the significance of that. Everything is in the seed. Um, when you plant a fruit tree, where I live, we grow apples. If you plant an apple seed, you will get an apple tree. That's, that's a law. You will not get a citrus tree. You will get an apple tree because the, the material, the instructions, the Life law is in that seed. That's where it is. Everything that's needed is in that seed. So you plant the seed, you water the seed, you feed the seed. That's all you need to do. And, and as I said this morning, keep the disease away. Pull the weeds. Uh, keep the, the insects and, and other things away you will end up with an apple tree. It's, it's a law. So what seed was planted in us? Oh, you could say it's the seed of the kingdom. Sometimes the, the Bible does use that expression, but it's the seed of God. It's the seed of God. Let me give you a verse. This verse is astounding, especially if you know the Greek language, but we're not going to read it in Greek, don't worry. We're going to read it in English. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, it says, 
everyone who has been begotten of God. Begotten of God. Only John uses this expression. He uses it in John chapter 1, 12 and 13. We are begotten of God. And here he uses it again. And this is not an illustration. <clears throat> this is literal. We are begotten of God. Amen. Let me ask you, were you begotten of God? Yes. Or were you adopted by God? No. You know, some translations use the word adoption. Isn't that terrible? I'm not adopted. I'm a real born child of God. I'm begotten of God. Okay, it says everyone who has been begotten of God does not practice sin because capital H, his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he has been begotten of God. Then the footnote on his seed, denoting God's life, which we received of God when we were begotten of him, this life as the divine seed abides in every regenerated believer. If you check the Greek language, you will find that the word seed there refers to the genetic material. It's the it's the genes of God himself. I, I told you earlier, I, uh, I received the genes of my father, so I look like him, I sound like him. Uh, there was really nothing I could do about it. Um, I always tell my two children, I say, I'm, I'm very, very sorry that I passed on to you my genes. <laughs> There, there was nothing I could do about it, but I made up for it by preaching the gospel to you and getting you regenerated with the divine seed. It's the same thing, really. Once the divine seed comes into a person, it always produces the divine image, always. You can't stop it. You can help, you can cooperate, you can cause it to grow properly and normally, or you could slow it down, you can't stop it. The human life you can stop, it, it can be terminated. The divine life cannot be terminated. So listen, every believer, even the worst one you can think of, maybe it's you, uh, the worst believer you can think of, the weakest, poorest believer you can think of, anyone who has ever received the divine seed will grow to maturity and express the divine image. It's a law. It's an unchangeable law. Isn't that wonderful? So if that's true, if that's true, what should we do in our Christian life? We should just cooperate with the growth and facilitate the growth of the seed. That's what the Christian life is actually all about. And that's what the kingdom life is all about because it's the growth of that seed that develops this realm of God's kingdom. Well, we said that the, uh, the way to cause this, we don't actually cause the growth, do we? Only God causes the growth. Paul said, I planted Apollo's waters, but God causes the growth. We can't cause growth in ourselves or in anybody else, but we can plant and we can water. And we can feed, we can, we can provide nourishment. That's why I mentioned the ministry digest, that's, that's nourishment. Um, those things we can do, which it's not causing the growth, it's just 
cooperating with the growth. It's just facilitating the growth. That's, that's what we can do. That's our part. Well, in order to do that, this outline tells us that we, we need to have a hidden life. So we live in the kingdom by having a hidden life. Now, maybe you say, well, I can, I can water the seed, I can feed the seed without having a hidden life. No, you really can't. You really can't. And, and you can't deal with the hindrances. Remember the, the things we said for, that are needed for the life to grow. Number one, we have to water that seed. Number two, we have to nourish it. We have to feed it. And number three, we have to remove any barriers. Um, the, the, the barriers to the growth of the divine seed, to say it simply, it's, it's ourself. But it's our flesh, ourself, the world, sin. These kind of barriers, you can't deal with those in public, can you? No, that, that requires a hidden time with the Lord. And actually, I will tell you, to nourish the seed, we, we receive a lot of nourishment when we come together. We do. But it's a different kind of nourishment. It's kind of like... It's kind of like manna falling from the sky. <laughs> you, you kind of grab a little in the meeting. and <laughs> But the nourishment we can get in our personal time spent with the Lord, is, is, that's more like the hidden manna. That's a different kind of manna. Uh, it's all manna, but the hidden manna, there's something different about that. Uh, so... We really do need a hidden life. And there's another reason we need a hidden life, which might be a new thought to us. The reason it needs to be a hidden life is that that's the nature of the divine life. The nature of the divine life is to remain hidden. Have you ever seen God? I, I haven't. Am I the only one? You know, when I, especially when I was a young Christian, I... I asked the Lord a few times. I said, you know, this Christian life is hard. I can't see you. I can't hear you. <laughs> Could you just one time, just, just once, come and have a cup of coffee with me? We'll just talk. Five minutes. That's all, I, all I'm asking. I even argued with the Lord. I said, Lord, in, after your resurrection, you appeared a few times to the disciples to train them how to enjoy your invisible presence. I'm only asking for one. Am I the only one? <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> because the nature of the divine life is to remain hidden. And because he likes to remain hidden, the life in us will lead us to live a hidden life. It, it will, if, if we, or to say it another way, if we are living by the divine life, if we are living in the kingdom of God, we will have a hidden life. We'll have a life that isn't seen or known to others. And in this outline, it's, it's described like a tree, you see a part of the tree, but that's not the whole tree, is it? There's a great amount of the tree that is underground. In fact, it's never seen. What we see is what's above ground. What's below ground is not seen, and if it is seen, that tree's in big trouble. In fact, that tree's probably dead if the, if the uh, if the roots, especially the deeper roots, are exposed, uh, at the very least, the tree's not going to grow well, and it may die. So in this message, we want to talk about this hidden life and these roots that the roots are the part of the tree that absorb the water and the nourishment. 
that causes the growth of the tree. You never see them. You never see them. But they're actually the part where the growth takes place. You, you see the growth above ground, but you don't ever see the growth that takes place below ground. Okay, so now we'll read this outline. Uh, I said the nature of the Lord's life is hidden. One place we can see that clearly is in the God-man living of the Lord Jesus. He, over and over, he just disappears. He just goes away from the disciples to be with the Father. And we don't know what he does, except in a number of cases, it tells us what he does. He goes away to pray. And to pray means to contact the Father, to contact the Lord. Our main thought about prayer, when we hear the word prayer, we think, oh, yeah, we got to pray for the Lord's move in the Bible Belt. We need to pray for the conference. We need to pray for our children. Uh, yeah, we do, but that's not the primary significance of prayer. In fact, that actually isn't prayer. That's intercession. And there's a difference. You remember in the tabernacle, there's two altars. There's a, at this entrance to the tabernacle, there's a bronze altar. And deep inside the holy place, right at the entrance to the Holy of Holies. Is that light still kind of bother? Is that, is that light? It, it's this one? Is that better? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one too, huh? <laughs> See, it's very bright in the Holy of Holies. <laughs> because the light is, you know, God himself and Okay, anybody else? Anybody else being blinded by the light? How are we doing now? You're still very much enlightened. Okay, so we had two altars, right? And at the first altar, man's need is met at the bronze altar. And that's one kind of prayer. And at the second altar, God's need is met through the intercessory prayer. So I would say it this way. The first altar is where we pray. The second altar is where we intercede. And prayer comes first, not intercession. We usually reverse the order. Actually, we hardly pray. We mainly intercede. Uh, we don't pray much. We don't much have the concept of prayer because most of our idea of prayer is that it's all about, there we go. I didn't want to bring you into darkness, just, you know. Um, it's just that our thought of prayer is mainly uh, activity oriented. But what is the real purpose of prayer? The real purpose of prayer is to breathe in God and to absorb God. That's the purpose of prayer. The purpose of intercession is to execute God's will on the earth. Can you see the difference? And I tell you, even in the prayer meeting of the church, we should have both prayer and intercession. You actually shouldn't, in the picture of the tabernacle, let me just remind you, in the picture of the tabernacle, you have three sections, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And the bronze altar is here. It's the entrance to the tabernacle itself. And the incense altar is here. It's the entrance to the holy of holies. What we try to do is we try to jump all the way from the outer court to the, to the incense altar. Let me tell you, even if you're an Olympic long jumper, you can't, you can't make that. 
You can't make that. No, before we intercede, we need to pray. Why? Because we don't know what to, we don't know what to intercede for. Romans 8 tells us very plainly, we do not know for what we should pray as is fitting, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. How do, how do we get to know? Through our prayer, through our fellowship with the Lord, we get to know the mind of the Spirit, then we are able to intercede. So, uh, often we find the Lord praying. We actually don't find him interceding that often. Have you ever thought about that? Read the four Gospels. He prays a lot. But there's not very many records of him interceding. Uh, Maybe we're not really living the God-man life that much. If we aren't doing what the God-man was doing, So here it says we need to learn from the pattern of the Lord living a hidden life in his going up to the mountain privately to pray. I like that. That's Matthew 14, 23. He went up to the mountain. He was alone privately and he prayed. The Lord did not remain. Oh, sorry. Let let me explain a little. In Matthew 14, The Lord had just done a great miracle. He had fed fed the thousands and everybody was happy. Everyone was excited. He just goes away. He just withdraws to pray. It's not at all a natural way of living. If, if we, if we were the Lord, we had just committed a, a great, or just a, performed a great miracle like that, we'd say, okay, anybody want an autograph? I'll, I'll remain for the next few hours. I'll be signing autographs. Uh, no, the Lord says, okay, see you. I'm going to pray. That's, that's the, the life of the Lord. See, he did not remain in the issue of the miracle with the crowds, but he went away from them privately to be with the Father, on the mountain in prayer. See, that's not intercession. It's to be with the Father, be with him. We should treasure three phrases, to be with the Father, on the mountain, and in prayer. So what is prayer? Prayer is to be with him, to be with him. Do you know how to be with him? We know how to ask for things from him. We're very good at that. But do we know how to be with him? I still remember once when I was a young person, Brother Lee asked us this question. He said, do you know how to be with the Lord? And I I had no idea what he meant. And then then he he said, I'm afraid that if I took away your Bible and your hymnal, you wouldn't know what to do. And I realized he's right. And I would say this, if I took away your morning revival book, you would not know what to do. Because we're not talking about having morning revival, which I don't even know what that means. How do you have morning revival? Um, No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being with the Lord. You know, when you know how to be with someone, you don't actually need words. I travel a lot, probably too much, and uh, I don't get, I, I don't have a lot of time alone with my, my dear wife, but when I am with her, I, I, we don't talk very much. We don't need to. We have two chairs. The one on the left is hers. And there's a little table in between, and then this one's my chair. And I, we just sit together. We, we actually don't need words. We can, I just go. 
or I just, <laughs> she knows what all that means, unspoken communication, <laughs> because we know how to be with each other after this many years. We just know how to be, we, we, and we know how to speak to each other too in, in the most intimate way. This is what we want with the Lord. We want a personal, intimate, affectionate relationship that is built up through our prayer with him. Not primarily through our intercession, but through our prayer. Well, this takes time. It takes time. And the Lord himself did that. Now, I know right now, what, I know what you're thinking. I don't have time. Don't you understand? I have a job. I have kids. I have a husband. I have a dog. I have a cat. I'm busy. <laughs> Are you busier than the Lord was in the four Gospels? I doubt it. I doubt it. Let me tell you something about time. We always have time for what we love. Always. So when, when we say, I don't have time, it's really a way of saying, I love something else more. Sorry, go ahead and throw things at me if you want. But that's really what we're saying. Because we do have time for what we love. In fact, if we love something, we'll, we'll skip dinner. We, we'll, we'll sleep less. We'll do anything for it. I remember when I was courting my wife, I was working at a CPA firm and in downtown Los Angeles, some of the worst traffic in the world. I was working real long hours and long, long commute. And but I tell you, I had time to see her every day. <laughs> I didn't care if I ate. I didn't care if I slept. I don't care. We do make time for what we love. The Lord in his humanity loved the Father. And I'll tell you what else he did. He made that a priority. He made spending time with the Father a priority over his outward work. I'm not saying he didn't do his outward work. He certainly did his outward work, but it was never his priority. You read the Gospels. His priority was always, I need time with the Father. If then after I do that, if I have time, I'll, I'll preach the gospel and I will heal the sick and raise the dead. <laughs> but right now I need time with the Father. Yeah. It has to be our priority. I was with the full-timers uh, the other morning and we're talking about time management. And when I worked at a secular job, I took classes on time management. I bet many of you have. I told them one of the things with managing your time is to understand that there isn't enough time to do everything that you want to do. So you must prioritize. You must. Because you're never going to make it to the end of the list. So you better know what's the most important. So what should be at the top of our list every day? Getting to my office. No. Getting more sleep. No. What should be on the t our top priority should be I need to spend time with the Lord. If I don't get anything else done today, if nothing else happens today, I must Spend time with the Lord. I have to. I can't live without it. Can't live without it. That's how the Lord lived as a man in his humanity. You know, he lived the human life not as the Son of God. He lived the human life as the Son of Man. You know what the Son of Man did every day? He prayed and he ate God's Word. That's how he lived. That's how he lived the God-man life. He prayed. He spent time with the Father. He was with the Father. 
And what did he do while he was with the Father? He took in every word that proceeded out through the mouth of God. How do we know? He told us, Matthew 4, 4 and John 6, 57. In Matthew 4, 4, when the devil came and tempted him regarding his living. You know, that temptation about the bread, that's, that's a temptation about your livelihood. He said, if you're the son of God, make the stones into bread, do a miracle. I don't think any of us, correct me if I'm wrong. No, don't correct me, I don't wanna know. Uh, I doubt that any of us has ever fasted 40 days, but the Lord did, and he was hungry. In fact, the Bible tells us he was hungry. Don't think he's God, he's not hungry. No, he was hungry. And the devil came and tempted him, and he said, man shall not live by bread alone. What man was he talking about? Himself. But by every word that proceeds out through the mouth of God. Now put Matthew 4, 4 together with John 6, 57. In John 6, 57, he told us the secret of his living. He said, as the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me shall live because of me. See, that's a parallel verse. John 6, 57a tells us how he lived. John 6, 57b tells us how we can live the same way. He who eats me shall live because of me. How did the Lord live? He lived because of the Father, because he ate the Father. How did he eat the Father? Read the context of John 6, 57, by taking in the word of the Father. That matches Matthew 4, 4. So what, what did the Lord do in his hidden life? He did two things. He prayed, that was to spend time with the Father, and he ate the Word of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, I'm very, very burdened about this. I didn't say he read the Word of God. I didn't say he studied the Word of God. I said he ate the Word of God, because that's the word he used in John 6. He didn't say, he who studies me, he who reads the Bible. No, he who eats me. And then he explained that to eat him was to contact him as the spirit through the word. So that's how he lived. That's what you and I need to learn how to do. You know, it sounds like we, we know it. Oh, oh, you mean pray and read the Bible? Well, yeah, that is what I mean. If you understand what prayer is, and if you understand what it is to contact the Spirit as the essence of the Word in the Bible and extract the nourishment from it. You know, <laughs> I read something recently, impressed me. Brother Lee was saying that the simple things the things that appear to be simple, they have a lot of science to them. You know, like, like eating food. It looks really simple. You just take that burrito or whatever it was we had and put it in your mouth. Oh, there's a tremendous amount of science that is at work there. And Apparently, prayer and reading the Word of God is simple, and it is simple to practice, but there's a science to it. It's a, it's a skill. It's a skill that you have to learn to be with the Lord, to spend time with the Lord, to pray. It's something you have to learn how to do. You know, we have a brother. We have a brother in my locality. I better hurry up. We have a brother in my locality. Bed knows him. He's so funny. 
he was, he was the, the typical awkward bachelor, you know, the guy who just did not know how to talk to a girl. And he was going to get, he, he was interested in a sister and he decided he was going to approach her and <laughs> she agreed to spend time with him. So on the very first time they ever got together, he brought a ministry book and, and he's like, okay, let's read this. And she, and she told him, she said, put that book down and talk to me. <laughs> he said, you mean I, I got to talk? I, I don't know how to talk. Sometimes that's what the Lord is saying to you. He's saying, put down everything. Talk to me. Talk to me. You go, I don't know how. I've never talked to God before. <laughs> well, start. Start. That brother's very normal now. <laughs> now that he's now that he's married, he's just fine. But he was so funny. I wish he was here. He could tell you the story. Uh, see, you have to learn. You have to learn, don't you? You have to learn. And to spend time with this invisible one, we have to learn. Learn to talk to him. You know, prayer. It's not formal. It's not formal. It's an intimate conversation. You may say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. That's what the Bible is for. When we open the Bible, the Bible is his speaking to you. Your prayer is your response to his speaking. That's what it is. So, you know, when someone speaks to you, it's really pretty rude not to speak back. I say, hey, Brian, it's so great to see you. And Brian's, man, I'll be offended. Brian, if I say, hey, Brian, it's great to see you. What's the proper response? It's nice to see you too. <laughs> Could have been a little more enthusiastic there. <laughs> I mean, that was... We might have a problem, I don't know. <laughs> Brian, if your wife says to you, Brian, I love you. <laughs> What's the proper response? I like you. <laughs> You're okay. No. So when we read in the Bible, Jeremiah chapter 31, and the Lord says, I have loved you with an eternal love, we go, hmm, hmm. that's a good verse. <laughs> See, don't read the Bible. Converse with the Lord. He said, he just said, I loved you. I've loved you from eternity. What's the proper response? I'd say, oh, Lord, I'm overwhelmed that you love me before I was created. And, you, and even after I was created and turned out so rotten, you still love me. And I mean it. Converse with him. His word is his speaking to you. Your prayer is your response to him. That's how to be with him. That's how to spend time with him. We combine prayer with the word. That's how the Lord did it. It's not a big secret, is it? And yet, do we know how to do it? You say, ah, sure, I know how to pray. I know how to read the Bible. Well, do you know how to do it this way? <laughs> Where we contact the living person who is the reality of the word of God. That's the secret. Okay, I need to get moving here. Because s'mores are waiting, you know.
But I want to impress you the hidden life. It's mainly these things. It's mainly the time we spend with the Lord and the time we spend in his word. You know, John 14, 23 says, if, if anyone loves me, the person, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come to him and make an abode with him. The person and the words cannot be separated. You can't say, hey, Ben, I really like you, but I hate everything you say. (laughs) No, (laughs) you can't separate the person from the words. The words are are the expression of the person. And to love the Lord equals loving his word. And you know what, it, what happens? It causes a response in him. And then he comes to make an abode with us. That's how we abide in the Lord. I like that hymn. It says, abide in the Lord and read the Bible. You know, confide, confide. You know, you don't confide in a book. You confide in a person, right? So the writer of that hymn understands that the word of God is the person that he will confide in through his contact with that person through the word. That's what, that's what A.B. Simpson learned. That's what we need to learn. Okay, Roman numeral two. The principle of the kingdom people is that they live a hidden life, not performing their righteous deeds before men. Deeds such as giving, praying, and fasting. In Matthew 5 through 7, you have the laws. You have the constitution of the kingdom of the heavens. Remember this morning we said, if you live in a particular kingdom, you have to know the laws of that kingdom. If you violate the laws of that kingdom, you'll have trouble. Uh, There's no excuse for not knowing the laws. And where are the laws found? The laws for the kingdom of God that we are supposed to live in the reality of? Well, in a great portion, they're found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So we should spend a good amount of time reading and knowing Matthew 5, 6, and 7 to understand what kind of kingdom it is that we live in. You know, in the United States, if you're chewing gum and you spit it out on the ground, No one will do anything to you. But if you do that in Singapore, they will cane you. You know that? You got to know where you are. In the kingdom of God, you have to live a certain way. And what way are you supposed to live in the kingdom of God? Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. One of the principles is this. You have to do everything in a hidden way. You have to give in a hidden way. You have to pray in a hidden way. You have to fast in a hidden way. If, the, if one of the brothers says, wow, you look, you look a little tired today, don't, don't respond by saying, well, I've been fasting for two days. <laughs> Man, your shoes are looking a little old. Yeah, that's because I gave so much for the, you know, the meeting hall. <laughs> you know, in, in, in religion, religion, remember? Religion is the number one item in the kingdom of Satan. When you give, they put your name. David Kung. <laughs> Gave so much that we named the screen after him. 
because he paid for it. And this, this is the Ben Shee Memorial Podium because he bought it for us. That's, that's, that's the kingdom of Satan. That, that, that never happens in the kingdom of God. Regarding each of the three illustrations, the Lord uses the word secret. Our Father is in secret. That, see, that's his nature. He never shows himself. He's, he's in secret. And he sees us in secret. We can't see him seeing us, but he does. He sees us in secret. The kingdom people, as the children of the heavenly father, must live in and care for the father's hidden presence. Here's why. The kingdom people are not allowed to do anything in the flesh for the praise of men. And this kills the flesh and the self. If we, if we receive praise from men, it builds up our flesh and our self. If we receive no recognition and even people don't even know that kills our flesh and ourself that's the, that's a hidden life the saints who grow openly do not grow in a healthy way we all need some secret growth in life some secret experiences of Christ and we need to fellowship with the Lord in a secret way Okay, I think you got this point. The third Roman numeral is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 45, which tells us what kind of God God is. Surely you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Isaiah understood that God was very, very real, but always hidden. You know, there's, there's a book in the Old Testament that doesn't mention the name of God, but God is all over it. It's the book of Esther. God is working behind the scenes in everything that happens in the book of Esther, but the name of God doesn't even appear in that book. This is God. He does, he does a lot, but he does it all hidden, always hidden. A, God does countless things in the midst of his people and countless things in their personal lives, yet he conceals himself. It would make it so easy if he would just tell us, hey, this is me. What's going on in your life right now? I did it. That would make it a lot easier, but he never does that. So we have to pray. We have to contact him before we even realize, oh, this is God. This is God. I thought it was something else, but now I know it's God. But in order to know that, I have to contact the hidden God. And here's an example, a good one, from 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, I'll just, rather than read the verses, I'll just relate the story to you. Um, Remember, <clears throat> Elijah was hidden in a cave and he was feeling very bad because he was fleeing his pursuers and he felt completely alone and he felt that God was nowhere to be found and he was hoping that God would come and First thing that happened, there was a great wind, a great wind. And Elijah thought, oh, that must be the Lord. It's a mighty wind. Then it says, Jehovah was not in the wind. Then the second thing that happened, a big earthquake. 
He said, oh, that must be God. But Jehovah was not in the earthquake. And then a fire, burning fire. He said, this must be the consuming God. No, Jehovah was not in the fire. And then after that, a gentle, quiet voice. That was Jehovah. Not the wind, not the earthquake, not the fire, but a gentle, quiet voice. So here it says, God was obviously with Jehovah on Mount Carmel, but when God withheld his manifest presence, Elijah could not bear it. You know, earlier I mentioned John chapter 21. After the Lord resurrected, he, he disappeared visibly, but he never left. This is a real test to you and me. He's right here. You know, he's right here right now. I mean, he is right here, but none of us can see him. That's a test to us. We need to realize the hidden nature of God's working. We should not think that only mighty influences, great visions, and tremendous revelations are of God. God's surest work is done in the secret of our beings. Oh, I love this next point. When the only begotten Son came for the purpose of declaring God, he hid him should say in, in a human life whose appearance was marred and that had no attracting form nor majesty. This is, this is how God likes to be. He didn't want people to look at him and say, oh, God is here. No, what they saw, they not only saw an ordinary man, they saw a man whose face it says his visage was marred more than any man, such that when people saw him, they turned their face away. Can you imagine? I would say, Lord, at least make yourself decent looking. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to be handsome, but just, you know, average. <laughs> but he didn't do that. He did not do that. Why? It's not who he is. That's not who he is. God has the kind of temperament that dislikes ostentation. He likes to work secretly rather than openly. That's what he likes to do. That's the kind of God he is. Okay, let's read Roman numeral four together, the, the big point. Amen. Amen. That's a quote from Isaiah 37. On the one hand, we need to allow Christ as the seed of life to take root deep in the soil of our heart. On the other hand, we as living plants in Christ need to take deep root in the soil of the all-inclusive Christ as the reality of the good land. That means that we need deep experiences of Christ, like that of the Apostle Paul. You know, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 had an astounding experience. You know, I often say, and I'm not really joking, I really am looking forward to meeting Paul I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I, I got a long list for Paul, another long list for John. And this, one of the ones on the list for Paul is, Paul, what really happened in 2 Corinthians 12 when you went to paradise? You said it wasn't lawful to say, but we're in the next age now, so tell me. <laughs> he, he hid that experience. He hid it. Okay, and the final point, which I have already made, but we close with this. 
in order to live a life in the depths, it is necessary to have a direct and intimate fellowship with the Lord. It has to be personal. No one can do it for you. It can't be in a public setting. It's got to be a personal, private, intimate, and affectionate relationship with the Lord. That, that will cause life to grow. Loving him and loving his word will cause his life to grow. Okay, let's pray for a minute and then we'll have a little time to share.